let's start reading in verse 1, Galatians chapter 4, and verse 1. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be lord of all. So a ruler, while he is still a child, is just a child, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the father. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Dear Heavenly Father, please help us as we study this text this morning. And Lord, of course, there's no way for us to get a complete understanding of any of these passages in one service. But Lord, help us to understand the truth that you have for us today by comparing Scripture with Scripture. Father, help us to understand what these verses mean. In Jesus' name, amen. hope that you'll come back tonight. Uh, we're, tonight we're going to read a little bit farther, and from verses 1 through about oh, 11, what we're going to do is we're going to look at the pronouns and understanding who is God talking to and who do we become a part of. I hope you'll be here tonight for that at 5.30. But look at this verse, verse 4. This is the verse that I couldn't get around. It says this, but when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law. Now, we're going to focus primarily on the second half of that verse this morning, but we have to get the setting. And isn't it interesting? Most of the time, the only time that we generally look at this verse is at Christmas time. And yet, it has so much truth to us. I want us to think about this. And do you all have your Bibles ready? We're going to go through a bunch of verses. And if you're not used to doing that in church, that's just the kind of church we are. We, we want to hear from God's Word. Um, I've got a lot of, believe me, I've got lots of stuff I'd like to say to you. Which is why we better stick with the Scriptures. Amen? <laughs> All right, so let, let's look at some verses. What was the world like when Jesus Christ came? When it says this, but when the fullness of time, is that what it says? The time was come. God sent forth His Son. When the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth His Son. So God had waited until a particular moment in time for this to happen. He came on the exact day that God had ordained before the foundation of the world. Y'all believe that? There was a fullness of time. So what was the world like? When Jesus stepped into the world... What did it look like? Go to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. Look at verse 2. This is the verse that I was looking for in Sunday school, folks. I came up and looked for it and found it, and it just worked with my message, so... Look at, look at this verse. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them the light shined. What is the context of that? Look at verse 6. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. Do you see the difference there? The child was born, but the son was given. The son existed before the child was born. Is that right? The Son was given. But when the fullness of time, when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth His Son. How? Made of a woman. Is that right? For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon His shoulder, and His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of His government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon His kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice, from henceforth forever the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Can you imagine what the zeal of the Lord of hosts looks like? You know, we all get zealous and we get excited about some things. I guess yesterday some of our young men had a judo tournament or something. Is that right, Tristan? Is that what that's called, judo? That's what you were doing? Tristan won this tournament yesterday, by the way. Isn't that cool? 
So a bunch of our kids went down there to watch this thing. And Lydia said this, Why would anyone do that? They got done and they'd lay on the side. They couldn't breathe. They're all red. They're just gasping for air. Why would you do? Why would they do that, Dad? And now we see the difference between a boy and a girl. Isn't that right? Because here's what the boys say. Because it's fun. Okay, getting yourself pummeled half to death. At man camp this year, when the the boys talked me into wrestling and fighting with Wade. Um, Now, we have some people here who might not know. Hey, Wade, come here for a second. Just this, this, if you could see the, come on up here. If you could see the video of it. I got to fight with him and he had on like, I don't know, 40 pounds worth of stuff. And, you know, I I was smart. I was going to go low on him. And so he just fell on me. And then I was going to pick him up. I couldn't pick him up. It was hilarious, man. And I, we're fighting and he's destroying me. And it was hilarious. And here's what I said when I got done. That was fun. It was, thanks, thanks, thanks for walking all the way up here for that. Why? Because guys like to fight. There's a zealousness to it. We enjoy it. We get into it. We love watching it. Is that right? Guys, would you all agree with that? There's something about getting punched in the face that's cool. We have zeal for this. We, we just get into it. Football. Man, there's nothing better than watching the snot get knocked out of somebody. It is awesome. We love that stuff. Is that, now, if we have some sensitive guys in here, they might not understand this. But the rest of us, whether we can do it or not, whether we have the physical ability to accomplish these things or not, it's awesome. That's, that's the zeal of manhood. Ladies, do your doilies. I don't care. Guys. But what does the Bible say here about the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish it? He's excited about it. That's what zeal is. Ardent fervor. He's excited. The Holy Spirit of God is going to accomplish Jesus Christ sitting on his throne. But what had to happen first? Jesus Christ had to come as that baby. And what did he step into according to verse 2? The people that walked in what? Darkness. Look at Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. By the way, after I got done fighting with Wade, I walked over to Josh Divens and said, Man, he said, that's why we have the CCW class. <laughs> he really did, I promise. That's awesome. Matthew 4, verse 16. The people which sat in what? And what did they see? And to them which sat in the region of, of the... In, in the region and shadow of death, light is sprung up. That light that came, Jesus Christ is the light that stepped into darkness. So this fullness of the time, the fullness of the time was that the darkness of the world had grown to such an extent that now it could see the light. And the light came. Look at Luke one seventy nine. Luke one seventy nine. Uh, Look at verse 76. I love this context. And thou, child, shalt be called the prophet of the highest, for thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins, through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us, to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit and was in the deserts till the day of his showing 
unto Israel. John the Baptist. John comes as the forerunner of Jesus Christ. Why? Because the day... What's it call him? The day spring. I don't want to get this wrong. What is it? 78. Through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us. Jesus Christ, the day spring, the one who's going to bring the day, he has come. Why? Because it's dark. Because the world was in darkness. Look at John chapter 1. This is all going to tie together with Galatians chapter 4. John chapter 1, look at verse 5. Uh, verse 4. In Him was life, and the life was the what? The light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light. Now that's capitalized that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light, that was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. What was the world like when Jesus Christ came? What is one word that we would use to describe it? Darkness. Darkness. Now, how many of you see that we're living in a time of darkness again? This, uh, it's interesting. Jesus Christ is going to return when the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. So when that fullness happens again, that's the fullness of the darkness of this world. The, the world was dark because Judaism wasn't accomplishing what it needed to. And the world is becoming dark again because the church is not accomplishing what is it is, it is uh, ordained to accomplish. It's interesting. The fullness of these times that come. Look with me at John chapter 8 and verse 12. Jesus Christ describes his mission. John 8, 12. Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. Now, it's interesting how people like to make that poetry, but what's going to happen with the new heavens and the new earth and the new Jerusalem? Who's going to be the light? Jesus Christ. This is not hyperbole. Jesus Christ was the light of the world then. He will be the light of the world in eternity. Is that right? Amen. All right. So Jesus spake again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. What life? The light of eternal life. That's the life that Jesus Christ gives. Look at John 12, 46. Look at verse 44. Jesus cried and said, He that believeth on me, believeth not on me, but on him that sent me. And he that seeth me, seeth him that sent me. I am come a light into the world, that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. Jesus Christ stepped into this world of unbelievable darkness to be the light of the world. Is that right? That's what he came to do. But how did God accomplish that? Let's go back to Galatians chapter 4. But, it's verse 4 again. But when the fullness of the time was come, and we're, we're seeing a little bit of what that means. But let's go ahead and flesh that out a little bit. Some of you have heard this before. Some of you may not have. So let me, let me cover this. The fullness of the time. If Jesus Christ had been born a hundred years earlier or a hundred years later, we would have never heard of him. You say, well, if God wanted us to, we would have. No. That's why he had him come then. Is that right? So why, why is that? Because of the way the world system had come. By the time Jesus Christ came, we had an understanding through Judaism of monotheism, that there's only one God. Even though it was in a pagan Roman 
uh, leadership, under pagan Roman leadership, there was the concept of one true God. There was the synagogue system that was all over. So when Jesus Christ would go, he'd speak in the temple. Then his followers would go into the synagogues and preach the gospel all over the area to people who believed in the one true God. Then Jesus Christ could show them that he was his son. We could preach the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ to those people. How did that happen? On Roman roads. The Pax Romana, the Roman peace. What was the Roman peace? You mess with a Roman, we'll kill you. That's what it was about. I kind of wish America was like that way. That, anyway. There, there was that, that Roman peace that allowed... What, how did the Apostle Paul respond when they came and struck him? Really? You, just hit, you hit a Roman citizen? And what did they do? Oh, no. Now what are we going to do? The Apostle Paul used his heritage as a Pharisee to speak to the Jews, and he used his position as a Roman to allow himself to travel all over that area. It's like Edgar Fagali, our missionary. He's from Lebanon. So he travels all over the Middle East with his Lebanese passport. But if he gets in trouble, he's always got his American passport right there. Right there. That's the fullness of the time. It, there was the Roman Empire that had brought peace to the world to a certain extent so that the gospel could go through the Roman roads. You had the, the, the synagogue system where the gospel, gospel could be heard. You had Judaism, which had introduced to the world the concept of monotheism and one true God. That was the fullness of the time. So this darkness that was there, Jesus Christ stepped into. But what does the Bible say here? And this is the crux of the message this morning. What does the Bible say about him? But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law. What's that talking about? Made of a woman, made under the law. I'm speaking this morning on the subject, what Christ was made for us. What Christ was made for us. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 10. Y'all might remember this. I, I preached a message at Christmas time a couple of years ago, the night before Christmas. This is the night before Christmas right here. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 5. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, speaking of Christ, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. You see, that blood of bulls and goats could not pay the sacrifice, could not pay the penalty for our sins. It couldn't do it. It was a covering. It would cover the sin until the next time the sacrifice had to be made. That was not enough. So God made Jesus Christ a body. Why? Look at the next verse. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, lo, I come. In the volume of the book it is written of me, to do thy will, O God. Above, when he said, Sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offering for sin thou wouldest not, neither hadst pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Jesus Christ, when He was made of a woman, made under the law, the purpose of that making was to provide a body so that Jesus Christ could die. God can't die. Amen? God cannot die. So God, the Father, prepared for Him a body. And Jesus Christ said, I will come that way. In the fullness of the time, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman made under the law. Now, this idea of creating and making, go to Genesis chapter 5. Let's look at this. I was listening to a couple of evangelicals, Timothy Keller, pastors in New York City, and uh, Eric Metaxas. Um, he is taking Chuck Colson's place and the prison fellowship ministry and he wrote that book on uh, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer that's been so popular last year. These are evangelicals, and 
they were trying to discern what is the teaching of creation. And Metaxas, Metaxas said about Adam and Eve, he said that most bright people he knows, he said no bright people really have a firm position on whether or not Adam and Eve were real. Well, I guess I'll just be dull then. Amen? Because we believe that God created Adam and Eve. And so then Timothy Keller said, well, I'm a progressive evolutionist. What I believe is there are basically two positions, and that is that, that uh, God used evolution and that, that hominids were evolving, and God adopted two of them and called them Adam and Eve. That's one teaching. Or that they had evolved, that hominids had evolved over a long period of time, and then God created Adam and Eve along with them and put them in the garden. These are evangelicals. This is what they believe. I want to take them to the book of Genesis and look at chapter 5. This is the book of the generations of Adam in, what does it say? The day. In the day that God created man. In the likeness of God, what are those three words there? Made he him. So don't miss this. The way that God made man and woman, that's the way that God made the body for Jesus Christ. He created it. Jesus Christ's body was made for a purpose. It was made to be offered once for all. What does all mean? All. All, all means all, and that's all that all means. Jesus Christ tasted death for every man. That's why He came into the world. That's why He was made of a woman. Made under the law. Look at the next verse. Male and female created he them and blessed them and called their name Adam in, what does it say? The day when they were created. He created them in a day. That's what he did. He created them in a day. Now, you're saying he made them in the same day? No, they were different days. He created Adam, put him in, said he needed to help me. He puts him uh, into a sleep and takes the woman from the man. And she's been taken from the man ever since. It's just true. Let me see. All right, so now... Jesus Christ was made some things for us. The first thing is back in John chapter 1. Let's look at what the Bible says about it. To be the light of the world, something had to happen. Look at verse 14. You know what? Let's look at verse 12 again. But as many as received him, John 1, 12, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You have to be born again. And verse 14, and the word was, the next two words, made flesh. Jesus Christ had to be made something. He had to be made Flesh. Let me read something to you. I wrote this almost 15 years ago, and you all have heard it before. But before we move on to the rest of the subject, let's get this understanding. In one moment, one seemingly insignificant measurement on the span of time, the Word was made flesh. In that moment, undiminished deity became humanity. What an incomprehensible thought. In one moment, the one for whom all things are and by whom are all things became a thing. Like you and me, God with us. That one moment was not filled with pomp and ceremony. He made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant. Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, was made a little lower than the angels. And it behooved him to be made like his brethren. That is, like you and me. We are uncomfortable with thinking of him as being just like us, but the king of the Jews sometimes had a dirty diaper. Rose of Sharon sometimes needed a bath. The altogether lovely one sometimes needed to comb his hair, brush his teeth, and wash his face. That's the God who created the world. That's what he became for us. In one moment, non-corporeal, fleshly became corporeal. Spirit became flesh. The very God of very gods entered the womb of a peasant girl. In one moment, God took on skin and hair, teeth and toenails. In one moment, the invisible God became the visible, touchable, 
pierceable, whippable, nailable Emmanuel, God with us. In one moment, divinity took on the garb of humanity so that depravity might be rendered savable. The handwriting that was written against us could now be blotted out. That blotting out would not be accomplished with ink. It would not be accomplished with the decrees of the courts of the finite. It would not be accomplished by the justice of the unjust. It would be accomplished. The handwriting was blotted out because in one moment, the Word was made flesh. In one moment, true grace appeared. And we received grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. In one moment, the personification of truth was revealed. And now we no longer stumble in ignorance. The truth of Christ is like the light of the sun multiplied by infinity. In Him is no, no darkness at all. He is the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. When the Word of God says that the Prince of Heaven humbled Himself, what it is saying is God with us. In one moment, God became a man. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. In one moment, God became a man, fully man, though sinless, together with undiminished deity. Well, praise His name for that one moment. Are you glad He came? Amen. He came. He was made flesh so that He could be pierceable and whippable and so that He could be spat upon and mocked to pay for our sin. But that's not where it stopped. Not only was He made, he was, not only was he made flesh for us, He was made to be sin. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Look what it says, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He was made to be sin. You know, when we, when we see Christ in the garden as we looked last week, when we see Him in the garden praying, Not my will. Why was He praying that? Because of verse 21. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For he hath made him, speaking of Christ, for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be, what does it say there? Made the righteousness of God in him. You see, Jesus Christ, when he was on the cross, was made to be sin for us. That's how he paid for our sin. That's why he came. And that, how many of you, honestly, when you read that verse, when you see that he was made to be sin for us, that's an uncomfortable concept for you. You say, Pastor, how do you explain that? I can't. I can't explain it. But that's what he took for you and me on the cross. When the Bible says in Galatians 4, 4, that when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman, made under the law. What is that talking about? It's talking about this. He was made to be sin for us. But not only was He made to be sin, look at Galatians chapter 3 and verse 13. What else was He made? And we're going to look at this word redeemed here in a minute. But look at what it says in verse 13. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law. What was Jesus Christ made under? The law. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being... Read those next three verses for me. Being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Jesus Christ, when He was made of a woman, made under the law, what was the purpose of that? so that He could hang on a tree, so that He could be our curse. Do we have any sinners here? Anybody here that's a sinner? They, because you are a sinner, that's a curse. It is the curse of sin. Jesus Christ became that for us. You see, it's interesting. You know when Jesus Christ stood before, before Herod and He stood before Pilate and He wouldn't answer. You remember that? He wouldn't answer. Why? He couldn't. Why not? He was, he was sinless, wasn't He? Was Jesus Christ sinless? 
Well, then why couldn't he answer? Because he was in our place and we have no answer. We couldn't answer. And so because he was in our place, he didn't give an answer. He was made a curse for us. But not only was he made sin, not only was, was, not only was he made to be sin, not only was he made a curse, but what else does the Bible say? What else does the Bible say? He was made something else. He was made those things to pay for our sin. But he was made something else so we could have eternal life. Look what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15. He was made some other things so that we could have eternal life. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Look at verse 45. And so it is written, The first man, Adam, was made a living soul. Now, let me just revisit. And I'm going to show you all that video one of these days. Pastor Nathan's trying to figure out a way to get it for me. But I want to show you these evangelicals. And these are guys, these are the good guys. I mean, these are the guys that you'd see in all the Christian bookstores. They're the most popular guys around right now in Christianity. Not in liberal Christianity, in conservative evangelical Christianity. And so this concept of, of a man evolving, that is not the way that God made man. Amen? Amen? And look at what it says here. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, was made... A living soul. Apparently, the Apostle Paul, being inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, believed that Adam was made a living soul. Can I ask you a question? How long would it take for a soul to evolve? It's not going to happen. It is not going to happen. All right. So, back to the actual message. Look at what it says in verse 45. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. Look at what it says now. This is awesome. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. Who is the last Adam? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. He was made a quickening spirit. What does that mean, a quickening spirit? Go to Ephesians chapter 2. The Bible defines itself, amen? amen. Ephesians chapter 2, look at verse 1. What does a quickening spirit do? Verse 1, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. What does a quickening spirit do? Makes dead people alive. Is there anything more dark than death? No. No. It's It's dark. Well, the Bible says that we're dead in trespasses and sins. That's the darkness that the world was in. The darkness of death. Those living in the valley of the shadow of death. Darkness and death. That's where we are. That's why Jesus Christ came to bring the light of life. And he was made a quickening spirit. What does that mean? He can make dead people alive. I'd love to see Benny Hen do that, wouldn't you? Yeah, they can fix people's back aches and they can fix people's headaches, but they don't restore limbs and they do not raise people from the dead. They do not do that. Who does that? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Why? He's made a quickening spirit. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. So because he was made of a woman, because he was made under the law, because he was made flesh, because he was made to be sin, because he was made a curse for us on the cross, now he is our quickening spirit. Wherefore God hath also highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord to the glory of the Father, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. Listen, what does that mean? For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If we call upon that Lord who has been exalted because of His death, then we can be saved and have eternal life. Amen. What has happened? He has been made a quickening spirit. Jesus Christ can save you from your sin. You can have eternal life. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal 
life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, when Jesus Christ died on the cross, He paid for my sin. If I could have saved myself, Jesus Christ did not need to come. But He came. He was made flesh. He was made to be sin. He was made a curse. And now He has made a quickening spirit so that I can have life. What kind of life? Temporary life? Life until I sin again? Pastor, are you saying, are you saying that I could kill somebody and still go to heaven? Well, I hope you don't kill someone. But let me ask you this. Do you believe that your sin is any less offensive to God than the murderer? It's interesting. We have a really high opinion of ourselves. Oh, God, thank you that I am not like this lowly publican. No. No. No sin can stand in His presence. Is that right? No sin. Anybody here ever lie? Anybody ever here ever envy or lust? Anybody here ever steal something? And you think that that's less offensive to God than the murderer or the adulterer? Jesus Christ said, if you hate your brother, you've committed murder. Jesus Christ said, if you look, look on a woman to lust after her, you've committed adultery in your heart. And, and if you violate the law in one point, you're guilty of all. So who of us are worthy of heaven? Who of us are able to keep our salvation after we're saved? Anybody perfect here? Anybody perfect? Well, Laura, but other than that, is anybody perfect? That wasn't nice, was it? None of us are perfect. None of us are sinless. I love the passage. Paul said this, For the which cause I also suffer these things, and they were suffering persecution. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that He is able to keep that which I've committed unto Him against that day. Because He was made flesh, because He was made to be sin. Because He was made a curse, He has been made a quickening spirit to give us life. What kind of life? Everlasting life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him shall not, should not perish, but have life until you sin the next time. What does the Bible say? Everlasting life. That's the life. That's the quickening spirit. That's what He's given us. Let's look at a couple of other things and we'll be done. He has made, been made some things for us. He has made a quickening spirit. Let's try to understand what that means. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Are you guys having as much fun with this as I am? This is awesome, man. I love the Word of God. Look at what it says. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Let's start reading in verse 20. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the, the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? Of course He has. For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God, it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching... To save them that believe. And isn't it amazing how the preacher is always made out to be a fool in the world? It's interesting. It's almost like God knew that was going to happen. For the Jews require a sign and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. Unto the Jews a stumbling block and unto the Greeks foolishness. But unto them which are called both Jews and Greeks Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty." And the base things of the world, the things which are despised, God hath God chosen, yea, and the things which are not, to bring to naught things that are. Why? Look at verse 29. That no flesh should glory in His presence. Oh, I'm so wise. 
Isn't it wonderful that I was smart enough to find God? I was smart enough to discern who the creator of the world was. I, in my own wisdom and in my own goodness, have earned my salvation. Yes, I believe that he died on the cross, but I am living such a holy life that I am certainly going to go to heaven. Not like these fools who sin, who will surely lose their salvation. Now, nobody says that out loud, but that's their doctrinal position. Amen? Do you know what the Bible says? We're all just beggars showing other beggars where we found bread. Yeah. Who am I? Who am I? I'm a sinner saved by grace. And God calls sinners who are saved by grace through the foolishness of preaching to persuade people of the truth of the Word of God. Isn't that awesome? Why would God use a fool like me to preach the gospel? Why would God use a fool like you to tell somebody about Jesus Christ? But I, I preached like that somewhere a while back, and, and this guy walked up to me afterwards. I think I called people jerks or something. And he came up to me afterwards, and he said, I'm not a jerk. And I said, I think you missed the point. <laughs> Compared to God, we are fools. Would you all agree with that? Amen. That's who we are. You know that this text says it? Check this out. Look at what Christ was made for us. Look, look what the Bible says. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. That no flesh, verse 29, that no flesh should glory in His presence, but of Him, verse 30, but of Him, that's God, are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us, Wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. All right? So what has Christ been made for us? Well, here, the first thing that He was made, remember what the Bible says? He was made sin. He was made of a woman. He was made a curse. Is that what the Bible says? We've looked at that. Now look at what this says. Since He's risen from the dead, look at what it says, verse 30. But if Him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God was made unto us, is, is, it's still true today. This is still today. This is, Jesus Christ is no longer sin. Jesus Christ is no longer a curse. Jesus Christ is no longer that. Now He is made unto us wisdom. He's made unto us wisdom. Why? Because we're ignorant. We, where is the wisdom of man? It is foolishness. Can I demonstrate the wisdom of man? Our government is so good at it. Can I demonstrate wisdom? Here, let me fix our economic problem. Let's borrow money to get out of debt. Can't quite get my head around that. It just Is that right? Or, or we, my favorite one on the Big Bang, in the beginning there was nothing and then it exploded. That's the wisdom of man. Time. Plus chance equals everything. What? You have to be educated to be that dumb. They have to teach you how to think that poorly. That's the wisdom of this world. We don't have any wisdom. That's why Christ has made wisdom. That's why He is made wisdom for us. Do you know that we can have some wisdom? We can have some wisdom. How? Through His Word, through the indwelling Holy Spirit. That's what Christ has made for us. He has made wisdom. Why? Because I'm ignorant. Look at the next thing that He has made. Verse 30, But of Him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness. He is made righteousness. Why? Because I'm wicked. In me... That is in my flesh, there dwelleth no good thing. Amen? I am, not I was, I am wicked. When I get saved, I am still in my flesh wicked. Amen? That's why it's really foolish to think that you can lose your salvation because of your behavior. 
Can you get to heaven based on your behavior? Can you lose heaven based on your behavior? No. No, 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 no. We need His righteousness. That's why the Bible says put on the breastplate of righteousness. It's a foreign righteousness. I don't have any righteousness of my own before I'm saved or after I'm saved. All of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. I need His righteousness. So He was made righteousness. Was He already righteous? Oh, yeah, but He was made righteousness for us. He is made righteous for us. Praise God. That is so cool. What does that mean? That means I can live a righteous life. That means that I can, even though I am yet a sinner. Even though, if, if any man say he has no sin, he's a liar and the truth is not in him. First John. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Who's that written to? First John 5.13, these things are written to you that believe on the name of the Son of God. It's written to believers. We still have sin. We're forgiven of that sin. We stand before God completely sinless. But that won't happen until we get a new body. Remember? Remember, i got to show you this. Philippians chapter 3. Keep, keep 1 Corinthians, okay? Because we're not done there. But go look at Philippians. Chapter 3, verse 20. For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you looking for Him? You know He's coming back. And what's He going to do when He comes back? Verse 21, Philippians 3, 21. Who shall change our righteous body? What does it say? Vile. Vile. Can you imagine? Anybody have their baby in here? Isn't she just a vile little thing? <laughs> when I was in college, um, there was a girl at, at the information desk, Bible college, you know. And uh, so I wanted to mess with her. And so I said to a buddy, I said, watch this. I went to her and I said, you look ravenous today. And she said, thank you. <laughs> she didn't know what it meant. It's really funny. <laughs> but it was kind of like saying, you look Vile today. That's what all the teenagers are going to do now. Oh, don't you look vile today? But it's true. Who shall change our what body? Vile. And look at all the, look at how hard it is to change your vile body. This is how wicked you still are. All right? You ready for this? This is how wicked you as a believer in Jesus Christ are. Look at what it says. Who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body? According to the working, whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. The power that it takes to subdue all the power in the universe, that's what it's going to take to change your vile body into his righteous body. Is that right? That's why he was made righteousness. That's why he is made righteousness for us. We don't have any. We don't have any. And like I always say, 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 say yeah, 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 yeah. like I always say to you. See, we do speak in tongues at Grace Baptist sometimes. <laughs> Cheer up. You're a lot worse than you think you are. Right? None of us deserve to go to heaven. Okay, 1 Corinthians 1. Look at verse 30 again. But of Him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom. Why? Because we're ignorant. Righteousness. Why? Because we're wicked. And sanctification. Why? Because we're unclean. Because we're unclean. We're unclean in our thoughts. We're unclean in our behavior. We're unclean in our attitudes. We're unclean in our emotions. We're unclean in our heart. We are unclean. So what does God do? Through the process of sanctification, He makes us more and more and more like the Lord Jesus until we die or He comes for us and He gives us a new and holy body. Again, where does eternal life come from? It comes as a gift from Jesus Christ, because we are unclean. That's why Jesus Christ is our sanctification. How many of you honestly, and honestly, you would say that you do genuinely see a change in your attitudes and behavior since Christ saved you? Amen. That's sanctification. That's not because you turned over a new leaf. That's the power of the Holy Spirit in you. Now look at what else He does. Look at what else. He is made. Verse 30 again, But of Him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God has made unto us wisdom, 
because we're ignorant, and righteousness because we're wicked, and sanctification because we're unclean, and redemption. Redemption. What is that? That's buying back. Is that right? It's buying back. He is our redemption. He has made that for us. When it says that He has made redemption, what is that? He was made flesh. He was made sin. He was made a curse to buy us back. Um, there was a translator in Africa translating the Bible into the language of an African tribe. And he was trying to define the word redeem. <clears throat> redeem. And he was working with one of the, the men in the tribe trying to come up with a word for the word redeem. And the word that he used meant this, to take your neck out. And so the, the missionary said, to take your neck out, what, what does it have to do with redeem? Well, this word, to take your neck out, that means to take your neck out. When the, when the uh, Arabs were taking our people into slavery, they would chain them with a wooden yoke around their neck and chain them together. And sometimes the prince of the village would walk in and say, take his neck out and put mine in it. And so the slave trader would open the yoke, take the neck of the condemned man out, and put the neck of the prince in the yoke. So when he translated redeem, he translated to take the neck out. Do you know what Jesus did for us? He took our neck out of the yoke of sin. He took our neck out of the yoke of bondage. He gave us liberty. He gave us freedom. He gave us life when we deserved none of it. That's what it means when it says, For when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law. He has made redemption for us. Why? 1 Corinthians 1, look at verse 31. That, according as it is written, He that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Amen? We, we glory in Him. I can't go to Him and say, God, you know, thanks for giving me the ability to be the kind of man that can make it here. No. <laughs> you can't say, Lord, thank you. I don't deserve any of it. Thank you for bringing me. You received glory. You saved me. It all belongs to you. Man, anybody that says, you know, I'm thankful that I can get there even though they can't, that's the wrong attitude. Amen? It's all Him because of what He was made for us. So, let us glory in the Lord. Let's glory in Him and what He was made for us. Thank you, Lord, for Your Word. You are so powerful.